Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where we they know the lay of the land. Normally, we'd kind of lay out what was coming up on the show for you and kind of ease into things. We're not going to do that today. We're going to hit the ground running on the Farm Bureau phone line and uh, talk a little bit more about the Alliance of American Football. But we're going to do it from a different perspective today. Ladarius Perkins joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. You certainly remember that name from his time at Mississippi State. Standout player in Starkville and uh, a guy that was playing in the AAF. Ladarius, appreciate some of your time this afternoon. How's it going, man? Oh, everything's going well. Going well. Just a little down about, the, you know, about what happened with the league, but, yeah, overall, I'm fine. Yeah, I, I certainly understand you being down. This is a strange story. I, I guess I'm kind of curious from a from a player standpoint. When did you guys get the feeling uh, that, that this was really going to happen? Um. Actually, you know, it was it was some um, some red flags, you know, during training camp also. Because I mean, we, we didn't get like after we was in training camp for like a week or probably about two weeks, we didn't get paid. And so uh, some guys made some uh, some comments about it to the coaches and stuff like that. And, and uh, our general manager he came and talked to us, and we ended up you know getting paid, started getting paid like weekly for the training camp. So I was like, okay. All right, this is, you know, because I've, I've been in some developmental leagues or whatever that, you know, they don't pay you and it's and everything is just, you know, all a clown show, basically, you know? And, but this, this turned out to be way better than that, you know? And so, like I said, that red flag came about during training camp. But, you know, it went away. And also, after our first game of the regular season, uh, we didn't get paid right after and so that's another red right. flag. We so you know we start you know being cautious about it. You know trying to figure out what's really going on. And they were giving us you know run around about oh the money was coming from overseas or this and that with the with the um, with the apps and all that trying to get people paid. And and then um, next thing we know we see on the internet and on TV this guy invested a lot of money. He just he had just did it. So we were like you know that was we felt like you know the league was lying to us about that. And so we really didn't didn't know everything that was going on, but I, we know that the guy invested the money, and the league kept going. We started getting paid regularly every week. And so come about, you know, a week ago, I remember seeing the guy. Um, I don't know his name. I think it's the guy that invested it the, that owns the the hockey team, Tim Dundon. Yeah, the, the the Carolina hockey team. Tom Dundon is his name. Yeah, Tom Tom Dundon. That's his name. Yeah. 
Um, see, he was, you know, he was threatened to shut the league down if, you know, if it doesn't merge with the NFLPA. And, you know, I guess he wants the NFL to, you know, hear up and buy it out. And I don't think they were on the same page. I don't think uh, Bill Polian and Charlie Ebersole was on the same page with, uh, with Tom. That's, my, that's what I think. I'm not sure. But from sure. reading all the blogs and reading a lot of different stuff, because we didn't get a lot of inf- information about none of that, so. That's what I'm thinking. They weren't on the same page, and um, I think Bill Polian and Charlie they wanted the league to be on its own for at least three years, and then you know let the NFL buy it out and merge with that. But yeah, yeah, yeah it turned everything. Ladarius Perkins. So yeah, yeah, certainly did. Ladarius Perkins on your radio. So, so you mentioned a delay in the paycheck after the first game, and, and there was a story out there that okay, the league was having trouble meeting payroll. And that's kind of when the new investment came in. Now, Charlie Ebersole tried to kind of play that off as, look, we're a startup. We were changing payroll companies. We're just operating in the public eye. This is the type thing that happens all the time with new companies. Did that feel like that was a real response, a genuine response, or did you feel like he was covering up something that maybe was a bigger deal? That's the thing. We really don't know. We really don't know. It It was kind of odd, you know. Hearing about that, and all of a sudden, you know, this new investor come along and invested this uh, a lump sum of money. So it's like it, it raises, you know, a little red flags about, you know, is it is he telling the truth or did they, you know, what was going on? Well, we really don't know. Don't know. I mean, he said it was a lot of things going on with with the payroll and all that, but like I said, really don't know for sure because I mean, we never found out exactly what it was. We just remember the, the guy investing the money and then the payroll started coming in regularly. So I'm not really sure about that. Ladarius, did it feel like, from a football standpoint, so with with the guys in the locker room, with the coaching staff, with with kind of your your team from a local standpoint, did it feel like it was being run well? What like this was a good oh, yes. operation? Oh yes, definitely. It was great. It it was like because <clears throat> I like I said I've been around different like small leagues, and I even been, I was in you know NFL also too, and also in the CFL. And and honestly, right. I felt like um, it was it was better. It was going to take over and and, and be better than the CFL, actually. Hmm. So it, it was a great deal that everybody was you know everything was ran well. Uh, coaches, great coaches, great teammates, great locker room. Uh, it wasn't like no no clown show or nothing like that. Everybody did the kind of work, did their job. It, it was a great atmosphere. Visiting with former Mississippi State Bulldog Ladarius Perkins, who spent time with the Packers, uh, spent some time, uh, he, as he mentioned, with uh, other uh, developmental football leagues, with the Colts in 2015, spent some time in the CFL as well, most recently with the uh, the Birmingham Iron in the AAF. What was the mindset, Ladarius, for the majority of the players? Was it, okay, this is my opportunity to potentially get to the NFL or back to the NFL in some cases, or was it just a scenario where, hey, I love playing football, and this is an opportunity for me to play football a little bit longer, even if it doesn't go farther than this? Um, both of them, because you got you know younger guys that probably only <clears throat> probably didn't really get a shot in the NFL, and um, they're trying to get there. And then you got some guys that got like you know got a couple shots, you know, probably got signed with the NFL team, and, and so got cut after training camp at first cut or. Even probably spent time with a team for, you know, bouncing around a couple different teams in one year, and but never really stuck with a team. 
and they're trying to get back in the NFL. And then, like I said, you got guys that just you know want to play a little bit longer. So it was it was it was a great so, deal. I mean, everybody you know that was something everybody wanted to do. Everybody wanted to play, and that was the main thing. Right. You've got the XFL that is coming on board next year, and there are people that remember the XFL from a decade or so ago, and it didn't last all that long. Will you, do you think some of your teammates will, will try to make a run at being part of that league to continue playing, or is there going to be skepticism about it because the AAF failed? Um, at this point, I think guys are still going to try it out. I mean, it's, just, it's a new league. It's friends, just like this league was, so I'm – Pretty sure. I mean, I, I have guys, you know, teammates from Birmingham hitting me up now, you know, asking about the XFL. You know, are you going to try that out? I think I'm going to give that a try and stuff like that. So I think people are talking about it a lot now because, I mean, what else is it? I mean, you can you can try to go back to NFL. You can try to go CFL again, or you can try this XFL, which is, you know, the three big, you know, football um things that are going on right now. I mean, you still got arena, stuff like that, but most of the guys, they want to, you know, try to get the fail out right now. And and as a guy who has played... Yeah, no, no, I just was curious. As a guy who's played in the NFL, who's played in other developmental leagues, who's been in the CFL and now the AAF, do you feel like in the United States there is a place for a, a second league besides the NFL, or is the NFL just such a big deal that nothing's ever going to really work long term. I think we do need that, though. I, me, me personally, I just really think we need a, 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 a second league like that. I mean, because it's so now it's so many guys and so many kids. You know, they want to go to the NFL, but you know, in reality, all those people are not going to make it to the NFL. And, and and some of those guys are right on the cusp of like really making NFL teams. They just need a little bit more development. And then you don't want to, you know, yeah. you don't want to go to Canada, CFL. I mean, you can, but you got you get locked in a two year contract, and then you know, you get, sometimes you get lost over there. You're like, oh man, you, you know, it's over with now. You know, you probably don't produce like you want to, or whatever the case may be. And like, you stay over here, and um, you get connected with a, a developmental league, and it, pay, it pays good money. The, the, the AFL paid really good money because I've seen developmental leagues pay, right. you know, a couple hundred dollars a game, but this was a, a, a good salary. And so, like I said, everybody's not going to make it to the NFL. But like I said, those people that are right there, that they, they get cut, and, and they have all the tools and the tangibles, they just need a little touching up. And a development league like the AFL was really, like, helping us, really. It was really helping everybody yeah. to develop. Like I said, you had great coaches that, that was coaching us up. And then, you know... To see it fail, like you know, get suspended or you know, fold like that, that was just heartbreaking, really, to a lot of. Uh, yeah, certainly, of certainly disappointing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ladarius, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time. I, I hope we can connect again. Uh, certainly enjoyed yeah. visiting with you. Maybe when we get closer to the college season, we can talk with you a little bit uh, about Mississippi State as well. Thanks, man. Oh, yeah. All the definitely. best to you, and uh, and hope that it works out for you going forward. Thank you, man. That's Ladarius Perkins on the Farm Bureau phone line. Just getting started with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Thursday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Big thanks to Ladarius Perkins. You want to follow him on Twitter, you can at Dario, D-A-R-I-O, Perkins27. 
Great player at Mississippi State. Uh, has bounced around the NFL, the CFL, a couple of developmental leagues, and most recently in Birmingham on the Iron as part of the AAF. Really interesting conversation with him uh, jumping on with us. Michael Borky got that set up, and uh, certainly good work there, Michael. That was uh, that was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, especially with how he enjoyed his time with the AAF and, and thought it was better run and, and felt better about it than being in Canada. Because the CFL's been around for a long time, and I mean, it's got a nice television contract, and people show up to the games, and it, it's a league that people are aware of, and liked it better in a startup that ultimately folded after eight games. It's amazing how... I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, so it, it now seems abundantly... Go ahead, go ahead, Rippy. Oh, I was just going to say, now, it now seems abundantly clear that this thing was underfunded and then kind of got desperate and then Dundon kind of pulled the rug out from under him after he kind of got what he wanted. Like, that seems fairly clear at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, it's what Richard said, uh, I guess when we first start talking about this and when you're desperate for money, you know, you put yourself in bad situations and you do dumb things. I, 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 but I'm with, with Borky in that I, I fully expected him to come on and be like, you know, Oh, it was terrible. And this, that, and he sounded like he really enjoyed his experience and would have wanted it to keep going. And, and, and that, that makes it, you know, this story so much worse because we're starting to see stuff come out now about players getting stuck with hotel bills and injured players having to find their own health insurance. Now, this seems like it was a good deal for everybody who was involved, and it, and it, it just it, the 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 guys at the very top did a poor job of, of keeping it together. Yeah, and and the thing that I, I think that's telling in all of this is with the AAF, they did a lot right. the The football side of things was done right. You had you had good coaches who were allowed to put together their own staffs, and, and so you had good assistant coaches as well. The training setup was was pretty decent. There were some issues I, I read in Orlando with regard to where they were able to practice, but I think that falls more on the business operations side of things. So you had players that wanted to be there, that were treated well, that were compensated well, at least when they were paid. You had good coaches, good assistant coaches, good support staff, so, so the football piece of it, and, and by the way, the product on the field, the, the television presentation was good. The new rules were good. People liked the replay setup. They liked the, the sky judge. All, all of those things were positives from a football perspective. But the business operations perspective was another story, and they were trying to keep that behind the scenes. And it really sounds like Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian went into this with the best of intentions. Ever saw kind of the the young entrepreneurial startup guy who's got a television background and a football background because of his father, and Bill Polian, who's kind of the football mind of it. But behind the scenes, these two guys were kind of juggling and just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And when they got this opportunity for a huge influx of cash that didn't feel like it was shady. I mean, this was another professional sports team owner who said, you know what, I want to invest in this, and probably said all the right things to sell Polian and Ebersole on him being the right investor, he gets in, but he gets in with an ulterior motive. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it, I, I think I would be surprised if that's not exactly right, that he saw an opportunity to to take something he wanted 
at a, you know, this sounds funny, but, you know, he's, he lost $70 million on this deal. Well, evidently for $70 million for him, must be a little bit, a chump change might not be the right word, but I guess he feels like what he got from them, if he's able to get this technology, he's going to make that money back and, and a lot more. And yeah, it, 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 tragedy is not the right word, but it, it's it's a it's just it's just not. It sucks. There's no other yeah. way to put it. You know, I enjoyed watching the AAF. I had I wasn't as into it as I am to the NFL or college football or anything like that. But I enjoyed watching it and I enjoyed keeping up with it. And it, and I I like the idea of a second football league. I like the idea of having football year round. So, and the next yeah, layer to it good. is these people that. And I understand why these well they're they're being stuck with hotel bills and, and didn't have flight plans for these these players to get home. Well, if it's true that they were completely blindsided by it, how do you expect them to get eight full football teams on flights the next day? Yeah, it didn't really work like that. So that would at least be proof positive to the fact that they did not expect this to happen at all because their exit plan simply did not exist because they weren't expecting it to happen. And in the 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 kind of sweet irony in all this is like it largely proved that something like this could work like this thing was like inadvertently the xfl's guinea pig was it not and the xfl is going to work i think because of it at least in the short term i don't know if they'll be around for 20 years but they can take everything good that happened with the aaf and they never have to deal with one on the ground floor they got an investor that couldn't uh, keep up with his his commitment financially and that's why they went and, and suck out Tom Dundon in the first place. They don't have to deal with any of that because they have a billionaire sole financial backer in this thing. So that side is already taken care of, and now they can take everything good, and they're going to recruit and sign guys that are not eligible for the NFL draft, college players that are not yet out of high school for three years, adding another layer to it. They now have... A perfect plan laid out for them a year before they get started. Well, and, and there's another, la- uh, well, maybe at least one more layer to it. Vince McMahon saw up close and personal what failure looks like and what causes failure for a startup football league, a professional football league that is not the NFL. So having gone through that experience himself and been a successful businessman in the, the, the sports realm, I mean, classify wrestling however you want to. That's not a shot at anybody. It's, it, it, it's different than what we, we watch on Saturdays and Sundays. It's an entertainment business that has a sports angle to it. So he's launching a sports league, a football league, for the second time, and he knows what caused it to fail the first time. He has much more money than he had when he tried it the last time. It was a $35 million investment. There were two guys that lost $35 million. He and his partner did last time. He's the sole owner this time. Vince McMahon is a billionaire. And he's got Oliver Luck running the league. I mean, Oliver Luck's one of the most respected guys in sports. Athletics director, front office guy in professional sports. Smart guy, serious guy. Oliver Luck was not going to leave the position he had at the NCAA for some fly-by-night deal that he doesn't think was going to last more than eight months. So I think they've got a lot of things that are in place that um, uh, that give the, the XFL an opportunity to succeed. And th- didn't I read 
earlier this week or last week that Vince McMahon just pumped another $300 million into the XFL? I think I saw that not too terribly long ago. Must be nice to be able to just, oh, I'm working on this project. Here's another $300 million just to make sure it works just fine. What a life. It d- yeah. Well, if he's committed to it succeeding, and, and most people that are billionaires don't chase ideas that they don't think are going to work. Now, maybe it's an ill-conceived idea. I, I don't think this one is an ill-conceived idea. What do you think That's, about um, it being exclusively in NFL cities? Do you think that is more of an advantage? Because the AAF tried to tap into new markets, Memphis, Birmingham. This is different. Yeah, either current cities or former cities. So you're Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, New York, St. Louis, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington. So you've got eight cities that all seven are current NFL cities, and then St. Louis, it's a former city. Um you, you you know you have a football fan base there, right? They may have loyalties to a team, but you know you've got people in those cities that love football. And you know you've got corporate sponsorship opportunities there as well. So, I mean, I, I get why you would do it that way. Certainly do. We'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the idea of opening it to new markets is good, but, I mean, did the new markets support this? Not really. I mean, people watched on television... But nobody was going to the games. No, San Antonio is the only the games one in Memphis. Yeah. But but we're well, I mean, were San Antonio's crowds that good? I mean, I watched some of the games. Twenty five thousand were at San Antonio. There were no. There's no way there were twenty five thousand games for that. Uh, twenty five thousand people at that game against the Hot Shots the other night. That's what they claim anyway. Yeah. Well, if there were 25,000 people in there, then all of a sudden the Alamo Dome seats 100,000. <laughs> <laughs> Paid attendance, man. you got to count the season ticket holders. Okay, so we're going that route. Fair enough. Fair enough. We will uh, we'll switch gears coming up next. Mississippi State rolled in baseball last night against ULM. They will head to Tennessee this weekend. Take a look at what's coming up in the SEC when we continue in the Renaissance Bank Studio. My guess is that you have made a run to the hardware store this afternoon or your local lumber store in many parts of Mississippi, and you'd gone to the aisle where they have the gopher wood, they might would have been fresh out. It sure felt like you needed to build an ark earlier today. I don't think Rippy got the gopher wood reference. I don't know what gopher wood is, but I... That's what I, Noah built his ark out of. I got wet. No what gopher wood here. Come on. Can you build an umbrella out of gopher wood? Because that's probably what I needed. <laughs> You're really heavy. <laughs> it would be a heavy umbrella. I needed some gopher wood collages to go along with it. So I, I told you I'm doing something that I'm embarrassed of. I don't, I, I don't have like a, an issue with feet as a general rule. I mean, I don't wear shoes for half the summertime. But... My shoes and socks got soaking wet, so when I got, I got in the studio, I took them off, and I'm just like sitting here barefooted, and I feel so, it just feels wrong. And then Borky, it got weird. Did Rippy because start looked, rubbing your feet? No, I looked over and Rippy had his <laughs> shoes and socks off too. I was like, no, <laughs> what are we doing here? Doesn't feel wrong to me. I feel great. Oh, I would do it if if the the guy that signs my paychecks isn't just a few feet down the hall. 
I'm thinking about putting the wet shoes back on just without socks, just you know, to cover myself uh, a, a bit because it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, good news is the rain's going to get out for tomorrow. You've got baseball in Oxford tomorrow. And it looks like early on Saturday it's going to be fine. I think a chance of rain on Saturday night and a pretty big chance of rain on Sunday. So we'll keep an eye on baseball this weekend and see if Ole Miss and Florida end up playing a, uh, a doubleheader on Saturday as opposed to uh, playing three games in three d- days. Tony, there was some uh, big news out of Hattiesburg. It was announced earlier today that... Jeremy McLean is being named the new athletics director at the University of Southern Mississippi. He is returning to Hattiesburg. Uh, most recently has been the AD at Troy. Served uh, in that position in Troy, Alabama since September of 2015. Prior to that, he was the day-to-day operations guy as a uh, deputy director of athletics at Southern Miss for three years. Prior to that was the athletic director at Delta State. So Jeremy McLean, a guy that's got deep Mississippi ties, knows Hattiesburg well, leaves a pretty solid program at Troy to uh, to come back to Hattiesburg. And my thought is, it's just kind of an initial reaction. Given the uncertainty that has gone along with much of Southern Miss athletics for the last several years, and, and and I don't mean that. I think that's an okay way to describe it. Having a guy who has been at the university before and is from Mississippi, but also has outside experience, seems to make a lot of sense. Because I I think more than anything, Southern Miss, from a leadership standpoint, needs stability. Um, and so you hope in Jeremy McLean you're getting a guy who is not there just for a couple of years or three or four years and then moves on. Now, if he is there for three or four years and moves on, it's probably a good sign. It probably means that Jeremy McLean has done really good things in a relatively short amount of time and has advanced the department and other people have recognized it. But even with that said, you, you hope that McLean is around for a while and provides some stability for an athletics department that, that needs that. It, it needs stability in its leadership. And I, I think with the coaching staff that they've got in place, you've got an opportunity for that. Because it feels like Doc Sadler's doing a good job in basketball. You know Scott Barry has done and is going to continue to do a good job in baseball. And, and you hope that things have kind of settled down on the football front and you can continue to be uh, competitive. You can continue to get to the postseason or try and return to the postseason after missing a bowl game uh, a year ago and, and kind of be what everybody expects Southern Miss athletics to be. Does that make sense, that, that, that this is a hire where it feels like stability is important? Yeah. And the other thing I like about this hire is, coming from Troy, which has been a pretty successful program in the shadow Agreed. of Auburn and Alabama in, in that state, you know, you, you can bring some of what worked for you over there into Mississippi – and, and and hopefully it's the same sort of situation for Southern Miss that he can take what he learned at Troy about how how to you know thrive and with those two SEC schools and, and take it to Southern Miss. Yeah. So uh, congratulations to Jeremy McLean and to his family, his wife uh, Christy, and their children on returning to Hattiesburg, returning to Southern Miss, and uh, 
my, my thought would be if you're a Southern Miss fan, and we'll talk to Luke Johnson about this probably tomorrow, um, it's good stuff. You feel good. I think Jeff Mitchell did a good job in his time as the interim AD, but you're glad to have your permanent guy in place. And now you're ready to kind of see him put down roots and, and try to begin to move forward as a department. So, good news out of Hattiesburg. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Just after 4 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. I want yesterday's weather, not today's weather. Did, did, did Borky, did you at any point pull up the radar today? Yeah, it looked like the entire state had turned green. Yes. I, I saw early this morning, well, I guess I went to bed last night and I saw what was coming. I was like, ugh. And then when I woke up this morning, it was starting to rain. It was just starting to rain. And then when I looked at it mid-morning while it was actually raining, like from Dallas to the Mississippi eastern border was nothing but green. It's like, oh, so it's going to rain for a while, is what you're saying. Uh, so, uh, yeah, hang in there. Not complaining, though. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of am. I'm not going to complain anymore. Nothing we can do about it. And it looks like we're going to be okay for uh, a weekend of sports activities in uh, in Mississippi. Hey, Dad, have you looked ahead at the forecast? Are they good in Knoxville, or is this big line of stuff going to mess with tomorrow? I have not had a chance to check out the Thunder and Lightning Viper radar yet, but we'll we'll get a look at that for uh, for tomorrow's podcast for sure. Wait, you guys actually have that? Sure. You're a liar. <laughs> we have access to weather.com. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. You can find a branch location near you. If you're in North Mississippi, they're scattered all across the northern part of the state. You can also grab a phone number on the website. And think about this. If you had done business with Mississippi Land Bank, oh, say, maybe a year ago or back in the fall, and part of the improvements that you had gotten a loan for, for the land that you had bought, or maybe a piece of land that you already had, included putting a lake on the property. And you'd already gotten all the dozer work done, and now you were just waiting for Mother Nature to do her part in filling up the lake. Today is perfect for you. In fact, the last month has been great for you. You've got a lake that might even be flooding at this point. Like I said, not complaining, just saying. Mississippi Land Bank, they'll help you get it ready and then let Mother Nature do the rest. Fill up the lake and you are good to go. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. That was a bit of a stretch, wasn't it? It was fine. It was a good, very good you know, segue. You liked, liked how I tied that together? Yeah. Knoxville, um, Friday weather, a.m. shower, 60% chance of rain, high of 70. Saturday, cloudy, high of 76. They're going to play Saturday. Sunday, a.m. thunderstorms, high of 80, 50% chance of rain. So they'll be dancing around some weather all weekend. Mm. Maybe one of those weekends kind of all over the Southeastern Conference. We'll keep an eye on that. You can uh, text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, you interested in this NFL draft stuff? Oh, oh, I know what we need to do. Before we get to the draft, we didn't have a chance, uh, hey, Dad, to talk with you about it yesterday. Happened after you left uh, to head over to baseball. Reggie Perry announcing yeah. that uh, he is making himself eligible for the NBA draft, but also left open the possibility of returning to school. 
this feels like a wise decision on, on his part, the way he's approaching it, or, or at least that's my initial reaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny, he, he made that uh, statement not two minutes after on yesterday's show where I said, yeah, Reggie Perry, probably one more year out of him. Um, but but so be it. Yes, four, State had four players do this last year. Quindary Weatherspoon, Nick Weatherspoon, Lamar Peters, and Eric Holman all went through the early process of getting feedback, didn't hire an agent, all were obviously eligible to play uh, at the, during uh, the season. And so, you know, smart for Reggie Perry. Go out, get your feedback. If nothing else, it, g- it gives you a blueprint of what – teams think of you and what you know you need to work on to assure your draft position uh next season and I'll, to be totally honest i won't be surprised if we find out you know that tyson carter and, and nick weatherspoon again and maybe even robert woodard take it you know just put your name out there get the feedback and if it doesn't you don't like what you hear come back to school what do you anticipate that Reggie Perry's going to hear? We, we talked about it yesterday. The, the size, 6'10", 245, there certainly is a good skill set there. There is an expectation these days, generally speaking, in the NBA, that big guys can shoot it from the outside. He shot 30% almost, maybe 28% from behind the arc this year. Um, what, what do you anticipate the, uh, the feedback he gets is like? Uh, probably, you know, that what he can do down low is very good. He's obviously a very, very much a plus rebounder. He's a good defender. He does need to work on expanding his game a little bit, a little bit more of the mid-range jumper. Uh, he can hit some shots from, from the perimeter every now and then. They'd probably like him to be a little bit more consistent about that. And then, you know, probably just some little things, some little tweaks he needs to work on. And, and honestly, I mean, if you watch Reggie Perry this year, by the end of the season, I thought it was pretty obvious he had hit some sort of freshman wall, that he just was not the same player in March that he was in February. So, you know, obviously maybe conditioning, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think he's going to get a lot of good feedback and probably going to be some people telling him, look, you know, you need one more year, but when you come out next year, you're probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, the Athletic has released an NBA draft big board. They've got the top 100, so we'll give you the top 10 and then look at some of the other SEC guys that are projected um, uh, on the, the NBA big board. No surprise, Ian Williamson, number one. No surprise to anyone. Number two, Ja Morant from Murray State. Dazzled in the tournament. People, He was already on everybody's radar. But there are a lot of people that maybe didn't follow college basketball closely or don't follow college basketball until you get to the tournament who had never heard of John Morant, and then he went off. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, this is an NBA guy. R.J. Barrett from Duke 3, Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech 4. You'll get a chance to see him this weekend if you've not seen him before. DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, also in the Final Four. He's got a great NBA body. Darius Garland from Vanderbilt, who got hurt and missed basically the entire season. Kobe White from North Carolina, Cam Reddish, a third Duke player ranked in the top ten, Nasir Little from North Carolina at number nine, and then Romeo Langford from Indiana at ten. So what about some other SEC guys? This is the top 100 from the Athletic. P.J. Washington at Kentucky, listed at 14. Keldon Johnson from Kentucky at 18. Grant Williams from Tennessee at 22. What do you guys think about Grant Williams as an NBA player? He's kind of a tweener. You know, I, I, you know, some of the physical stuff he's able to do in college, I don't know he can do it as much in the NBA, but he's tough, he'll play hard, uh, and he's talented. 
So I, mean, I think he could be an NBA guy, but I don't know that he could be a star in the NBA, if that, if that makes sense. Would be a good rotation guy. Yeah. And, and a lot of people in NBA circles are terrified of guys that stay in college for more than one year, but if you look at, at Buddy Heald, and um, his name is completely escaping me, help me out, played at Oklahoma, now in Atlanta. Trey Young. Trey Young, thank you. Um, they are kind of proving that you don't have to be 18 years old to, to be a draftable rookie in the NBA. So, no, he's not a starter. You don't draft him to be an instant impact guy, but a, a great rotational piece. Tyler Hero from Kentucky at 24. Not making this comparison. Well, maybe I'm not going to make that comparison, period. I'll just okay. I'll hold off on that. Um... No, I will. I mean, it's an easy comparison because they're both white. But is Tyler Hero in the mold of J.J. Redick, who's had an incredible NBA career and has made a boatload of money in the NBA? J.J. Redick played either three or four years at Duke, though. Yeah, that's, that's, you already knew the book on Redick and what a clutch shooter he was going to be. Hero, you just have the one year. Uh, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's an easy comparison, but at the same time, I mean, you knew that J.J. Redick was going to be able to be this guy who carved out a niche for himself in the NBA. I don't, I don't know that for, for Tyler Hero. Daniel Gafford from Arkansas listed at 28, so that would still be in the first round, but not a lottery pick. Um, yeah, the, the thing for me about Gafford, there's, there's a ton of athletic ability there. I have not seen anything, though, that makes me believe – that he's going to be able to extend out to 17 to 20 feet with the jump shot. Because he didn't do it at all at Arkansas. And even physically, doesn't he... Maybe I'm wrong. You've watched him more than I have. But there, at times, it seems like he was really passive. I mean, Ole Miss and their bigs had moderate su- success against him, which is an incredible indictment against him. You can't be passive physically when you can't shoot and be yeah. any kind of impactful in the NBA. I would say more like took plays off. Yeah. I don't think there's anything about him that's passive physically. I think he is athletically as gifted as anybody in the draft. He just didn't play hard all the time. Ah. When he played hard and was locked in and engaged, I mean, he's he's a beast down low. I don't know if he'll have to be able to step out and shoot either. You don't think so? But he's not, gonna, he's not thick enough to be a back-to-the-basket guy. At this point, but you see how guys' bodies change from the time they get in the league to four years in. Admiral Schofield at 33, Nas Reed at 41, Jonte Porter, who missed the year at Missouri at 43, Nick Claxton from Georgia at 49, Chumo Kiki at 50, he's got the massive knee injury. A couple of Vandy guys, Aaron Neesmith at 64, Simi Chatou, who was a five-star guy at 76, freshman this year, Terrence Davis from Ole Miss listed at 86, Tremont Waters from LSU at 99, and Q Weatherspoon rounds out at number 100. That's the big board from The Athletic uh, as term in terms of college guys headed to the NBA, potentially. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, our favorite bald correspondent, Eric Sorensen. What's up, buddy? <laughs> I, have, I have never been introduced better than that. Rich, you are my hero. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, well, I'm glad I can be somebody's hero. <laughs> 
What about this weekend? I, I, I talked with Kendall Rogers yesterday or the day before, and I asked him if the, the Vanderbilt-Georgia series was the biggest in the country. He said, no, I'd probably have to go with number one versus number two, UCLA and Stanford out on the West Coast. Problem is, most of our listeners aren't real locked in to that, and you can't <laughs> watch the game anywhere. Why can't you watch number one versus number two on television? Yes, yes I know, because our sport hasn't gotten to that point yet. At least it hasn't out out in places like out in the Pac-12, which does have their own network. But, uh, yeah, it just hasn't gotten there yet. But that shouldn't take away from what should be a great series between two really, really good teams that I, te- I, that I tend to like a lot as well. But, yeah, it, it, they're going to the, get to where uh, the sport will get a little bit bigger and a little bit more bigger, and, and they'll get to things like all the, pa- all the Power Five conferences will have all of their games showing, just like the SEC does for the most part in uh, each and every weekend. But, yeah, just not quite there yet out west. Pac-12 networks. If a redwood falls in Muir Woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? (laughs) I promise it does. Look, I know you guys aren't real hip on the Occidentals out there, but I'm telling you, they play good baseball. You might remember an Oregon State team that did pretty good last year, too. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's just one of those things. You know, the, I, I hate the Pac-12 network because those SOBs still don't have a contract with DirecTV, and that's what I got at my trailer park. So I'm really kind of hacked at them to begin <laughs> with anyway. So you're not going to get any you're not gonna get any cheers from me on the Pac-12 network. I'm not a fan. So what about that Georgia-Vanderbilt series, though, that I mentioned? Vandy kind of stumbled out of the gates a little bit seems to have gotten it going, and Georgia is quietly putting together a really good season over in the SEC East. Absolutely, and I love the the matchup, Georgia's power arms against Vanderbilt's offense, which is, well, actually, they're second in Mississippi State in the SEC, but, you know, Georgia's got a, I mean, uh, Vanderbilt's got a lineup all up and down that lineup, really good, J.J. Bleday and Austin Martin, who leads the SEC in hitting at 449, just ridiculous. And yet Georgia, you know, they just they have those power arms that uh, Paul Maneri was talking about when LSU played Georgia that they couldn't keep up, they couldn't catch up, I should say, to some of those to some of those pitches that Georgia was throwing out there. So I and and yes, I, I think it's just going to be a great matchup, uh, best best in the SEC this week. So yeah, I, I really look forward to seeing how that one turns out. You always kind of like good pitching against good hitting. So let's see if Georgia kind of holds up their end of the bargain uh, in that one. Hey, Mississippi State's headed to Knoxville this weekend, Eric, and Tennessee got off yeah. to, to that really good start. They haven't quite been able to sustain it in SEC play as the competition level's gone up, but this is a team that looks so much better than it did a year ago and light years from where it was just a couple of seasons ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And I never quite figured out Dave Serrano not quite working out at Tennessee He's a great coach, but it just didn't have the right mix, just didn't have the right culture, I guess, for coaching in the SEC, I suppose. But, man, alive, they are a different team now. Uh, last I saw, they were leading I, – I thought they were – I guess they're not leading the country in, in ERA right now, but they're still way up there, 2.91 ERA, and that's been the huge key for them just to have some of those arms that they've had uh, this year. And I love this matchup with Mississippi State. It's It's – what was the best offense, or what is the best offense, Mississippi State, going against what was the best pitching staff, still a great pitching staff at Tennessee. It's kind of one of those things where I'm really looking to see what Mississippi State will do to rebound after losing those two games to LSU last week. Um, it looked like they got off to a good start by beating the crap out of ULM 
21 to five the other night. Uh, so that that was a good start for them. But let's see how they do once they go up there on the road at Tennessee uh, again. Tennessee's arms. You're right, though, Rich. Tennessee's arms have been the huge the huge difference this year in uh, in 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 why they've become a team that has won 22 games out of their first 30 so far. Very disciplined arms, and they've only only given up 81 walks. And that's the least number of walks they've relented in SEC play. That's really that's really been a huge key for them. Hey, Eric, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. I wanted to ask you about Jake Mang, yeah, who you know, only a couple of weeks away probably from becoming the all-time leading uh, hitter in the SEC. But because he's not the best pro prospect in the world, he's a right. great college baseball player. Do you think that he sometimes flies under the radar nationally a little bit more than he should? Yeah, actually, that's a great point. I, I, he doesn't fly under the radar with me. I remember first seeing him. I guess it was, well, I guess it was three years ago out at out at uh, Dodger Stadium. Uh, made a couple of great plays out in the field, and he's just a really sight. He's one of those guys, kind of like if it was basketball, he'd be a gym rat type guy. And he's one of those guys. He's been around for four years. He's a senior you, uh, coach. You know, Coach Lamonis has to love inheriting a player like him at the top of the order. Just really disciplined. And yeah, it's weird that he kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but he's hitting 417. So the the guy knows what he's doing. I mean, it's really he's putting up he's putting up video game type numbers, even though he's not a real flashy kind of guy and a guy that everybody's got on their radar that's going to be a pro a pro player in two or three years, uh, like a Dansby Swanson or something like that. But I really like Jake Mangum. I always have since the first time I saw him play out of Dodger Stadium. He's a real he's a real heady guy, just a smart baseball player. How does that series go this weekend? If I made you make a prediction, Mississippi State and Tennessee in Knoxville. Tough, tough one to call Mississippi State's way, only because in the road, I mean, in the SEC on the road, it's so tough. I will say, though, I like the idea of Mississippi State kind of riding the ship. I will say that uh, I, I won't go with a confident pick of Mississippi State, but I will take them two out of three at Tennessee. Uh, just a tough one. It's a tough. Uh, it's a tough. What should I say? A tough venue. A tough assignment to come back after kind of a disappointing weekend at home where they dropped two of three to LSU. But I'm going to go with Mississippi State and the way they can rebound. That's uh, and Jake Mangum's part of that just because of you know senior leadership like that. That's kind of what gets you through on these tough road assignments. I think uh, like they've got coming up this weekend. Ole Miss won two of three on the road last weekend against Arkansas. Florida seemed to kind of right things a little bit in getting a sweep of Alabama at home. These two teams kind of bottom third of the league in pitching, middle of the pack both in offense and kind of middle of the pack defensively as well. When you look at the series in Oxford this weekend with the Gators coming to, to play Ole Miss, what are you looking for? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I was impressed with Ole Miss winning that series last week that you just talked about. That was a tough series. I, and I, and I just like the fact that they have, they have some, uh, I, I think they've got a lot of disciplined hitters. I like Ole, I like Ole Miss in this one. Just a bit, you know, Florida's a, a kind of a tough team to figure out. I, I think they've got the talent. Their ERA is way up there in relative terms, I should say, at, at uh, you know, they're, they're 12th in the SEC in pitching, like you had mentioned. So, I kind of like Ole Miss. I kind of like their just up and down the lineup. I like their I like their batting order a little bit better as far as that goes, just because Florida's got a little bit more youth on their side. So I'm going to go with Ole Miss on this one. Uh, and again, an impressive. We I did not see that coming last week to win that series against uh, against Arkansas. So I was really impressed with Ole Miss that uh, in that one. 
And then Ole Miss followed it up with a loss at home on Tuesday to North Alabama, who is in its first North year of Division I baseball. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay, so they kind of they kind of stepped in their own crap on that one. That's true. I don't get how that happens, even if it is just only a Tuesday game that you lose to a team that's new to Division One after winning a series like they did last week. Good point there, Rich. I forgot about that one. I, I do feel like there's a series that, believe it or not, is flying a little bit under the radar this weekend, and that's LSU hosting Texas. Texas A&M. A&M has been yep. maybe the surprise. Am I, am I crazy to call them the surprise of the SEC this year? Not really. No, I, and I, I don't think it's too it's, uh, it's crazy to call them a surprise. They are a little bit. They lost a bit off of last year's team. And, uh, and yeah, the only thing, in fact, I was originally thinking of going to that series, but I looked at the weather forecast and I thought, geez, they're just going to get pockmarked with rain all weekend. So I'm hoping they get some games in over there. But, yeah, that is that is an interesting series. And just like with Mississippi State, though, I'm looking at LSU to see how they react after a big a big series win, winning those two games uh, against Mississippi State in dominating fashion to, uh, to take that series. And, you know, I mean, Texas A&M, they're the top pitching team in the SEC. I yep. think that's one thing that they obviously is going to be a huge advantage for them uh, going into LSU because uh, LSU from the – at the top of the order, they're really great. At the bottom of the order, they can be a little shaky. So it'll be an interesting series to see, depending on how many games they get in. But I, you got to like the, like the pitching a little bit better of Texas A&M uh, going on the road at LSU. Change of plans for me, Eric. I'm not coming west this weekend. I'm uh, staying at home for uh, this series here in Oxford. So uh, I will oh, miss good. San Luis Obispo. I'll catch it on the flip side. Yeah, you know what? It's a great it's a great seaside resort. They're really beautiful. I'm sorry you didn't get at least to, to experience that. But, yeah, that was a long way to go for that assignment. And, and like I said, I'm skipping out on LSU, Texas A&M because of the rain. I'm heading to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to see some of those series they got uh, coming up this weekend in the Big 12. So I'm going to do a little Big 12, type, Big 12 tour this weekend here myself. There you go. A little bedlam for you baseball-wise. Eric, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. You got it, Rich. Thanks for sharing the airwaves, man. That's Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball. You can follow him on Twitter at Stitch underscore head. Good friend of the show. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad for one more segment, and Brian Scott Rippey. Great to have you along. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Want to own the latest and greatest smartphone? For a limited time, buy a top smartphone from C Spire and get one free. Get the best smartphone experience on the best network, now with twice the nationwide LTE, C Spire, customer inspired. Um, news out of Baton Rouge. Did you guys see this? Um, Ross Dellinger. Uh, I think he was the one that originally tweeted it. He was. LSU is working toward an initial meeting with Will Wade, which is the first of probably many steps that would be necessary, but the first step toward potential reinstatement. Um, interestingly enough, Will Wade has a new attorney, that new attorney is the same attorney, Stephen Thompson, that is representing Bruce Pearl and Sean Miller. 
The new attorney, Stephen Thompson, is the one that is leading the efforts to get this meeting done and get a dialogue going between Will Wade and LSU. Given what we know, based on transcripts and reporting, if LSU were to reinstate Will Wade as its head basketball coach, would this be the biggest middle finger in the history of the world directed straight toward Indianapolis? It is almost daring them to act, isn't it? Which is a bizarre move, and I guess we are getting ahead of ourselves because this very well could be the conversation of if you don't speak with an investigator, you're fired. But still, the fact that that's the language used in the report at least means that LSU is entertaining this. I don't know if you would want to welcome that kind of scrutiny and, and do that when you have this hospital story going on as well. Uh, you would think you would cut ties with the coach that you're going to have to fire at some point and, and avoid that disaster when you've got a hospital over here being investigated for funneling money via a charity and a LSU booster to football players' parents and gift cards and other stuff. I think you'd want to avoid all that. And, and, think and that's the question for me. If, if they're going to reinstate him, and I guess you, you had to have the meeting, whatever. But at, th- at this point, it's just, why did you even suspend him? Just If you're going to go this route, you're going you're gonna to give him the middle finger? Go all in with it. He should have coached the whole time. They might, they might have gotten past uh, Michigan State if that had happened. So I don't know. I, I, just, I don't know what LSU's doing here. But we'll see how, if they can make it work. I don't know if they would have gotten by Michigan State. Mm-hmm. But I think they would have run, won their first-round tournament game in Nashville. Yeah. And if they had won the first-round tournament game in Nashville, who knows, they might have won a second-round tournament game as well. And it might have changed their seeding in the NCAA tournament, and they might not have been would have been playing Michigan State in the second round. I agree completely with you. Now, here's what LSU would say: They would say, "We we, we couldn't reinstate him when he wouldn't talk to us." How can you reinstate the guy who is basically? I mean, is, is insubordinate even a strong enough word to describe how Will Wade has dealt with Joe Oliva? And LSU's the one who set that meeting. It's not like Will, Will, Will Wade said, hey, we need to have a meeting. So LSU said, we need to have a meeting. I'm not coming to the meeting. Okay, you're suspended. Three weeks later, all right, well, what can we do to bring you back? I mean, why even push him into the meeting? It, it, I have a feeling this is what's happening, and this is only based on just Occam's razor and nothing more. He got suspended because somebody in Birmingham told them to suspend him, and they are considering reinstation because there are people that pay the bills at LSU that are imploring them to consider reinstation. I don't agree with that. Why not? I... I... Because look at Bruce Pearl. No one said suspend him. Bruce Pearl's not on a wiretap discussing Joel NBA Lieber league did. minimum. Joel yeah, he's Lieber only did. had two assistants get arrested or indicted. Yeah, but maybe he should be next. But he's not. Well, jo- maybe he should but, be. But, 
But Joe Oliva does not have a history of kowtowing to the whims of the commissioner. Joe Oliva, you got to remember, he was the one that was in the middle of that mud-slinging grossness around the LSU-Florida football game. Yeah, so the reporting about how furious the SEC front office was in the, and they were getting involved with this situation is unfounded? What, with the, with the LSU story? Yeah. There's reporting and innuendo that the SEC office was, was mad and, and furious and was in contact with LSU and, and helping pull the strings on this. They may have been in contact with the with LSU. I've just been led to believe through some conversations that I've had that this was a board of directors deal, whatever they call it, board of governors or advice, you know, educate, whatever they call the the yeah, advisory board at LSU. Those folks that there were some powerful people on board there that said suspend him. He's not he's not coaching. Um. Those and, people are idiots then, because well, they may be, but but the reason he got suspended is because Joe Oliva desperately wants to have his contract extended that that ends next year, and so whatever he's told to do by the board, he's going to do. He may not do what the commissioner tells him to do, but he's going to do what the people that sign his paycheck tell him to do, because he wants to keep his job. It sounds like over there you don't have to do what the people that sign your paycheck tell you to do and keep your job. No, At least not. for a little time. Maybe not. Details are out on Kermit Davis's new contract at Ole Miss. I think Board of Regents is what I was looking for. I'm not sure that's exactly what it's called at LSU, but Board of Regents is the phrase that I was looking for. I was going to go Board of Boudin. <laughs> that might be the best way to uh, uh, to describe it. So we knew that Kermit Davis had a new contract. We just didn't know the terms. Here they are. Base compensation for the coming year, starting right now, $2.85 million. Based on the current, most recent numbers that we have, that makes him the sixth highest paid basketball coach in the SEC, just behind Frank Martin and just in front of Conzo Martin. Next year, he will get a $100,000 raise that will take it to 2.95. The following year, another $100,000 raise, and then one more in the fourth year of the deal that will take him to $3.15 million. There are incentives that give him the opportunity to make more money. For example, being named SEC Coach of the Year would net him fifty grand, which is a nice little bonus. Probably wishes that would have been in place this past year. Or maybe it was. Maybe that incentive was in there uh, this past year. Fifty grand for average attendance of eight thousand a game, or fifty five hundred season tickets. Seventy five thousand for average attendance of nine thousand per game. Gets a hundred thousand dollar bonus for finishing top four in the SEC, including ties. Hundred thousand dollars for winning the SEC regular season title. Fifty grand for winning the SEC tournament. 50000 for making the NCAA tournament. 25000 for each win in the NCAA tournament until he gets to the Final Four. $125,000 for a Final Four appearance. $250,000 bonus if he wins it all. $25,000 for making it to the Final Four of the NIT. $50,000 for winning the NIT. And for being named National Coach of the Year, the Naismith National Coach of the Year, $75,000 bonus. John Calipari is the highest-paid coach in the SEC at nine point, 
almost three million dollars, and then it drops off by six million. <laughs> John Calipari makes nine million two hundred seventy-six thousand six hundred forty-three dollars. The next closest is Rick Barnes at three point two five million. Tom Crean makes three point two at Georgia. Avery Johnson is out. I didn't see the numbers for Nate Oates' deal. Frank Martin makes just shy of three million at South Carolina. Conzo Martin two point eight million. Ben Howland makes only two point two million at Mississippi State. Nothing like saying only when you're talking about a number that has two commas in it and the first number is a two. Yeah, I'm interested to see if uh, they'll bump him up uh, this summer. You think they will? I don't know. I don't know because you know, last year was the. I think he, you, you know you made it back to the tournament, so he probably deserves something. But is the program and in, in the foundation of the program in such a, a spot where you're going to be going to the tournament going forward? I don't know. By the way, Buzz Williams, who was announced today in College Station, making three point eight million in year number one, that puts him in the top fifteen nationally. Kermit Davis now makes more than Conzo Martin, Mike White, Bruce Pearl, Mike Anderson, who's out. Will Wade, who might be out. Billy Kennedy, who is out. Ben Howland and Bryce Drew, who also is out. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad had to cut out. We'll get set uh, for some... What, uh, Mississippi State post-football practice availability? Is that what he had? Is that, is that what was going on? Yeah, that's what he told me he had, but he's been known to step out and go to the bar for a beer or two. Yeah, you never okay. know. Well, you do what you got to do on a Thursday, I suppose. It is 5 o'clock. We're glad to have you along. You want to uh, join in, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Uh, that is, again, the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired um thanks so much for being with us this afternoon sports talk brought to you every day by mississippi land bank online at mslandbank.com mississippi land bank where they know the lay of the land it's time right now for the college football fix college football fix is driven by ford and your local mississippi ford dealers Log on to BuyFordNow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The spring sales event is going on right now. That means great deals, great financing offers as well on Ford cars, trucks, and SUVs. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So attendance is an issue across the board in college football, across the board in the SEC, even at a place like Alabama. And at Alabama, they are introducing a new program to com- combat the lack of student attendance at football games. Borky, what do we need to know? So basically what they're doing is implementing a loyalty program. The longer you stay at the game, you earn priority points, and when you earn those points, you are entered into a database that allows you to buy tickets to the bigger games first. So they're rewarding these students that stay for the entire time when they beat Citadel 65-7 to in the end of November. <laughs> I talked to it. I visited Tuscaloosa a few times when I was in college, and 
I had the worst conversation I've had with a sports fan in my entire life, where an Alabama student who did not grow up an Alabama fan told me how football season is boring for him because we are just so good and we beat everybody, it's not fun anymore. You gotta try losing. See if you think that's fun, brother. Yeah, especially when he was like a junior at Alabama and did not grow up an Alabama fan. I wanted to break him in half. I've never been more triggered in my life by a conversation than talking to that clown. But that's that's what's going on there, is they can't get students to stay at the game because at the end of the first quarter it's twenty eight to nothing and they're beating up on Vanderbilt or whoever. And why would you want to sit in the hot sun and watch that when you can go to the bar or fool around on Snapchat or whatever? 20 bucks for an SEC matchup, $15 for a rent-a-win. Is that what you called it? Is that what the story called it? That's what it? the story called it, which makes it even better. There was a section outlining the prices, $20 for an SEC matchup and $15 for one of those rent-a-win affairs. And they're adding Tide Loyalty Points for students. Through the Tide Loyalty Points program, students will earn points for attending home football games, and for their support in the fourth quarter. Those points will contribute to students' priority access to regular and postseason tickets. Will this help? It should. They need to do something. I mean, and we've got the same problems here. How many second halves in Oxford in their seven home games did you see the student section empty out? Full or full enough All but at one, kickoff, right? and then yeah. I mean, even the was, there, was there a game last year in Oxford where the student section was full for the entire game? Entire game? Yeah, I don't think so. Not. I mean, it was absolutely packed well, when Ole Miss played Alabama, South Carolina, and Auburn. But I don't think they were full from the beginning. And again, weren't those both 11 a.m. kicks? They were, and I was at the Auburn game, and as the game continued on, and it was close all the way up until late, people, you could just noticeably see it, that students just get bored and and want something else to do. And you'll have people that'll say, well, they just need to suck it up because back in my day, we didn't even have jumbotrons. Well, it's different now, and you're not going to change the youth culture. You have to adapt to it or else you fail, you've got to incentivize them staying at games longer because it's not just a problem at Ole Miss. And they're in essentially a metal box with no protection from like the sun or anything. Like yeah. the... you got to find ways to keep them there. And Baylor has done something where um, if the athletic department didn't sell like didn't sell out tickets during the game, after kickoff they send a team out to the tailgating areas with extra tickets for like five bucks. And they'll go sell them to people that are still hanging out and tailgating, all the extra ones that they have. you got to do stuff like that now because the game itself, a diehard fan is just punching their table right now, but the game itself isn't the draw anymore. you got to do more. <laughs> Texas, there, there, was, uh, there were some interesting stories last year out of Austin because Texas had had an attendance problem. They got the new AD at Texas. Um Chris Del Conte, who had been at uh, at TCU, and they decided to make Texas football an event, an event that was more than just a game and was more than just the traditional tailgate parties. And I think Austin is uniquely suited to do this, but but it's a concept that you would think other people could perhaps. Um, 
could perhaps emulate or at least try to emulate. And the concept was live music, kind of like a street fair outside the stadium to bring students and fans in general, but particularly students, to the stadium, have a big time, and then everybody goes to the game. There certainly would be challenges to trying to pull something off like that in Oxford or in Starkville. Right, but that's a great way to to approach it. That's what you have to do. At, at Predators hockey games, it's very Nashville, but they have a band that has their own platform, like a rock band, that plays during the games and during those long breaks in between periods. So you go to a hockey game and a concert breaks out. They have their own section in the arena to play a concert. It's a pretty cool little niche that they threw in there because even in a hockey-crazed place like Nashville, just a game's not going to do it. Wasn't always hockey-crazed either. No, it wasn't. And they've they've developed it with other things. They make it very uniquely them, but you got to do something. Well, Okay, so what would you do in Starkville or in Oxford to combat the problem? And it's not always a problem, right? I mean, when the team is winning and the kickoff times are reasonable, students show up for games? They do. It's the longevity is what they're mostly concerned about because the whole basis of this story is Alabama. How do you keep them? How do you keep them there? Um, One shade. I think modern stadiums, and you'll see it more and more, are going to go the way of Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. The entire thing is undercover now. It's shaded. They built these big awnings like European soccer stadiums. I think that's one of them right there. Two, you'll probably not do it for a while in the SEC. Serve alcohol. Any student over 21 that's like, what, 50% of your student population can have a beer during the game. That'll keep them there because they leave and they go to the bar. They don't go to the library to study. Hmm. Comfortability. More comfortable seats. I know they're supposed to stand the whole time, but hot metal bleachers in a a September North Mississippi day when they're beating up on ULM, you're not going to stand the whole time. Make it more comfortable for them to sit and stay and watch. Well, never mind not standing the whole time. They're not going to stay the whole time. Right. Which I know is the point of the entire thing. Um, I, I have asked the question, is there any sort of structure that could be put in place that would provide shade? And the answer I got was that no, they're, they're really, it, it wasn't feasible from an engineering standpoint. That you couldn't just like put a big shade up there because of wind and engineering issues and whatever else. So it just is what it is? They're not like there's. With, with, with the way the stadium's constructed right now, I'm not sure how you fix the north end zone in Oxford. Without just blowing it up and starting over. I have one suggestion. Put the visiting fans there. That's what they did beforehand. I know. Let the visiting fans bake in the sun in the north end zone. And I know there's this idea of you want to split up the visiting fans. I I get that. But maybe the lesser of two evils is uh, there. Twenty five hundred seats there now. Obviously, that end zone now seats ten thousand people, or seventy five hundred. Or I think that end zone now seats ten thousand, since it's bold. But maybe you figure out a way to put the visiting fans in the sun, move the student section back to the south end zone. 
which is a problem now because you've done that gridiron club seating down there. It's an issue that athletics directors are concerned about. Obviously, they're concerned about it at Alabama. Obviously, Chris Del Conte was concerned about it at Texas. I think it's something that's on the mind of John Cohen and Ross Bjork, though, as well, and and their staffs. It's a it's a challenge. It's a legitimate challenge, all over the place. All right, here's some suggestions on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Kevin says, make concessions for students very cheap. Show student ID, get cheap uh, concessions. Dollar drinks, dollar food. Okay. It's a good start. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons, and, and it's not just Atlanta. They're the ones that always pop in my head. They cut every concession price in half and found that people spent more money. They made more money on cheaper prices right. and concessions. So that makes sense economically as well as just keeping the kids around. Kevin says also, if students don't want to show up, lower the number of seats for students and offer the seats to the general public who will stay at the game. I think that's been considered. If if the student attendance doesn't change, then they may lower the number of tickets available to students. I don't necessarily hate that idea, but are you mixing normal fans within the student section? Probably not. That could get hairy. No, I mean, you would take a section off, a section off. Okay, so it's not like a hey, if, like there's not a bunch of students at the game, like not like a Baylor type Look, thing. If you're talking overall atmosphere, another thing that needs to happen, and I've been told that this is not something that the band wants to happen. The band, the the Ole Miss band, and I would say the same thing at Mississippi State, although their band is lower and on the side in the student section. The band should be in the middle, down low, at the bottom of the student section, directly behind the goalpost. It's how Virginia Tech sets up their band. Because even if all the students leave, you've still got 300 people there filling an entire section that the camera is going to shoot every time it goes by. You're not going to see those empty seats right there. Why do you think the band didn't want to move there? Um, I think that other students who are complete jerks pick on them. I wasn't going that direction. No, I'm telling you, that's part of the reason why. Because you had students who would like lob full drinks into into the band section. I, and if no, that's happening, I don't blame the band for not wanting to be there. No, I was going to say, can you imagine as hot as it is at that place now, those poor band people in the full-on suit playing? They're in it already. That? Not that metal hot box. They're, they are in the exact same section. They're just not down low. Where is it? They're up top in the student section in the bolded end zone. Uh, I keep on the metal bleachers. they're north end zone, t- no. top right. Um. Anthony says, me and my son would be down with some $5 tickets, plus we would stay for the entire game. Okay, Anthony. Ken says, one way to keep people in the stadium is to lower the ticket prices where people who would love to be there and would stay can come to the games. Adam suggests a pig roast or deer and beer in Starkville and a Brooks Brothers or Michael Kors seasonal trunk show in the Grove. To pack the seats. Jeez. I mean, there's another conversation. Adam just decided he'd go with the stereotypes today. But there's another conversation to be had. Doesn't. By the way, Adam is a Mississippi State fan, just for the record. Borky, does any of this matter if you're winning? No, because... Showing up initially, no, but longevity, yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think he nailed it. Because I mean, when you look at the like, you look at the Alabama games, the bigger games, like them showing up at the beginning of the game is obviously not an issue. Well, uh, okay, so the Alabama game, for example, a year ago, for for in Oxford, that was the wear powder blue game, packed completely. If the game is competitive, they stay all the way through. And my point, kind of being, was like, if you're good, like most every game would be like. Some like similar to that, I yeah. guess. And I mean, nothing um, matters if you're winning at the highest level. But the problem is, what happens when you're eight and four? You're good. It's a, it's a good product. It's enjoyable football. You're relatively competitive, but also you're gonna play Troy. And Troy's a bad example because they've been good lately. But just for you're gonna play Troy, and it's gonna be September 29th, and it's gonna be 98 degrees, and the students are gonna show up at first because, well, that's what you do on Saturday. But then once noon hits and they realize they can get a dollar mimosa at a restaurant up the street, they can sit in a climate-controlled day, hit on that guy that they met at the frat party last night, drink their mimosas, and not okay, be sweating Borky. like crazy. Okay, Borky. I'm painting a Jeez. picture here. That's what radio yeah, is. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you painting away. Multiple people have said sell beer. That 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 is, but but we've also heard people uh, had somebody uh, a text message said fans that don't drink don't want students drinking staying at the game. The well, counter to that though, and and people don't believe this, but it started with West Virginia, Texas has done it, Ohio State. There are multiple major college football programs who have served alcohol at games and found just beer, by the way, and, and found that alcohol related arrests, hospital visits, and incidents go down because the availability at the game itself within the game de-incentivizes getting just smashed before kickoff in hopes that it lasts you three hours or sneaking in hard liquor, shoving it down your pants, getting by security going into the game. It is hell Borky painting that picture. Well he's got a point like you you like like the fact that it's not available at the game now, you have kids sticking you know three, four water bottles of Evan Black Label like into their pants and into their you know shoes and all kinds of stuff and drinking that in the hot sun as opposed to just being able to go walk and go get a beer. Like I get there's way like this is a way more complicated issue than just like well, saying hey sell beer, but like that's the kind of counter. But, to but it. going back to the question a second ago about whether or not winning solves all problems, winning solves a lot of problems. But where this conversation began was with Alabama, who, to borrow the words of DJ Khaled, all they do is win, win, win. Nice. And yet they have an attendance problem, not so much at the beginning of the games, but in keeping students at the game. And that's what Alabama is trying to combat with this new loyalty points program for students to keep them at the game. But if Ole Miss gets five national titles into where winning becomes stale, then they'll probably live with that problem. Makes makes sense. Probably so. I, they may not do it anymore. I know Auburn used to, uh, years ago, when I was in school, they would give sections in their student section to campus organizations, whether it be Greek organizations or, or whatever, uh, religious groups, and they would give them certain sections in the student section. And they would have to be full before kickoff and they would evaluate them during the game how full their section stayed. And if your section didn't perform, they would move you further up in the student section. Hmm. So they incentivized students showing up and staying because if you did, you got rewarded with better seats.
That, that's a good point, Borky, and, and, and I'm glad you pointed out that it's not just Greek organizations. It's any campus student organization because one of the, the groups that you see down low in the student section at every Auburn game is ROTC. So, so there's, you know, sometimes in uniform, sometimes not, that presence down low at the bottom of the student section at Auburn. Auburn might have the best student section in the SEC. They are all locked in. The attendance problem was brought on by the SEC Network. Here's a text message. All too convenient to stay home, watch more games, and save big money. There's something to that. The fact that every single game, the only exception being the rare non-conference road game, but that is extremely exceptional. Every single game is available on your TV, at your house, at your apartment, at your tailgate, at the fraternity house, at the sorority house, in the dorm, at the campus rec center, everywhere on the square, in a bar, in the Cotton District, everywhere you go. So that that's interesting. I mean, it's Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Okay, let, let me give you let me give you a little information, Borky, real quick before we move on. This is um, this is really interesting from somebody that is involved with the process. Definitely looking at options for structural improvements at Vault Hemingway to to help with sun and heat. On the idea of moving the visitor section to the north end zone, the challenge is that it could mean that while at home, you could potentially have your team, the home team, Ole Miss, driving toward the north end zone directly into 5,000 visiting fans. And that is theoretically something that you would not like to have your group driving into. Before they redid it, weren't a gigantic section of the north end zone visiting fans? Part, part of it, yeah. A, a big part of it. But if you go back to perhaps like the, the 2003 Ole Miss LSU game, I think that's part of what they wanted to get away from. Because Ole Miss doesn't have an upper deck, you don't have the ability to stick fans in random corners of the stadium. It's a smaller stadium, and so they're going to be more concentrated. But they've tried to get away from having them directly into the end zone. And it's pointed out that alcohol sales could definitely make a difference. With the obvious comparison being baseball games. You have students, thousands of students at Ole Miss and Mississippi State at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon watching them beat up on some nobody. It matters. Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.